Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. She's a motivational speaker, a four-time world champion, three-time Olympic gold medalist with Team Canada, and the co-owner of Strictly Hockey. It's Becky Keller. How are you doing today, Becky? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited to learn all about your Rise of the Challenge. <laughs> what we like to do first is go right to the beginning, talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up. Sure. So I grew up in a small town called Hagersville. Um, which it's claimed to fame for a very long time was Canada's worst environmental disaster. So uh, not, not known for the best reason, but a really small town, Southern Ontario. Um, and so when I was little, my parents kind of put me in what you typically would try your girl in, which was figure skating and gymnastics. And um, none of those were necessarily for me. Um, and so when I was eight years old, I got the chance to play ringette for the first time. And that was a way better fit, right? Something that was a team sport that was a little more competitive um, in, of the nature that I wanted it to be. Um, so I started in that and then got the chance to play hockey uh, in another town when I was 12. So it, it was a lot different than it is for some of the girls growing up now who uh, you know, they start playing hockey at five and, you know, their parents don't even give it a second thought. It, it was a little bit more challenging um, when I was a kid, but, uh, you know, it worked out, which was great. Was ringette, because I never heard of that kind of sport. What is ringette, actually? So it's, um, it's played on ice, just like hockey, uh, but instead of a hockey stick, your stick has no blade on it. So it's, it's just straight and you have a round rubber ring. Um, and so similar in that you've got, you know, a centerman, two wingers, two defensemen, a goalie, same nets, same dimensions, few rule differences instead, like you have to pass the ring over the blue line. So essentially you have to be offside. So people that watch it from a hockey background can't get their head around, well, they're offside, they're offside, but you have to, you have to pass the ring across the blue line. So there, there's a lot of differences in terms of uh, rules, but the sort of essence of it in terms of like being on the ice and the number of players and put the ring in the net is kind of the same uh, as hockey. Were your parents very supportive about your decision of wanting to play hockey, even though they tried to put you in another sport that you didn't like at that time? Yeah, absolutely. My parents were amazing when it came to that. And um, you know, I remember my dad at one point saying, well, you know, if, if the boys can play hockey, why can't you, you know? So that was sort of their mindset of well, why not? Um, so there was never any roadblocks in terms of that. Cause I know there were kids, girls growing up when I was a kid whose parents really were adamantly opposed to girls playing sports that were more traditionally boys sports. So I never had that. I started playing, uh, softball, you know, baseball, whatever at, at, five years old and and I didn't realize at the time but it was brand new in our town for girls so I guess I got a got in on the ground floor of a of a few things and um no my parents were were very supportive and and loved it and you know traveled all over the world with me uh for hockey and uh and even for ringette actually I, I went to Finland to play um when I was 14 years old so um yeah I mean and I think that's for most of the girls of my generation that made it to team Canada, I think they all would have had to have had a similar story in terms of support because otherwise they wouldn't have gotten to where they did. What was something that you learned about yourself playing hockey at a young age? Um, just that I loved it and, you know, I really couldn't get enough of it. And I grew up in the country. So just actually just outside of Hagersville. So um, we had a pond in the backyard and if it was frozen, I was on it all the time. 
Um, and then my parents actually built the house when I was in grade two and they had plans to finish the basement, um, but ultimately left it unfinished uh, because myself and my brother liked to go down there and play hockey and shoot pucks and I would rollerblade and right and all that stuff. And so it literally was one of those things where I may have only got on the ice structured two to three times a week, but I played every day. Um, so I think, you know, you know, when you see it in your kids too, when they find something that they're passionate about, you can just, you can see it, you can see it in their face and the smile and, uh, and their desire. And, you know, you can't ever force that it's either there or it's not. Did you have any motivations or inspirations growing up? Well, I think, um, you know, it was, it was different. The first world championships for women's hockey wasn't until 1990. So, you know, early on when I was playing, that wasn't really even a thing. So I think I was sort of like all the little boys um, in that I watched the NHL and, and um, I was a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. So I was a big Wendell Clark fan. He was my favorite player. And so I, I think, you know, that was sort of, um, who I looked up to, uh, until I saw the, you know, the first world championships and then kind of thought, you know what, I want to be, I want to be them. Um, and it was the first time I ever actually saw hockey played at a high level where I could, you know, you start to have those ideas of, you know, I, I could be that person. I want to be that person. So the end goal, you wanted to be like a professional hockey player, or was there another path that you're on? Well, I just think, you know, ultimately, I, I just wanted to play and, and, and keep playing. So when I was little, it was just whatever the highest level was. I know when I first started playing hockey, a coach from the University of Toronto had come to one of our tournaments and he had spoken to me after. And so that became my goal. Oh, my God, I could play, you know, university hockey. And then there was a world championships. And so that ultimately became my goal of well, I want to be on Team Canada. And um, you kind of hit some of those markers along the way then there was the first national championship under 18 national championship and so that became a goal I want to make team Ontario and um so as those things became uh realities you you start to think about them and aspire to them and uh some of them are smaller steps and some of them were, were bigger steps so what was next for you as you were growing up were you going to play at university or were you going to go in a different direction um, well, none of it was really fully planned out. So, um, I had actually, the, the, the whole reason I kind of wound up playing NCAA hockey is my parents, when I was, uh, in high school had signed me up to go to a hockey camp and it was in Michigan and I got down there and the guy running it, his daughter was at Brown university. Um, so the coaches of Brown and some of the players were actually there as instructors um, and the coach of Princeton and the coach of Cornell, uh, had both come in as well. And so that was sort of the first introduction I got to, uh, NCAA and being recruited again, it was different, right? Some of the high level girls playing now, those coaches come and they come to Canada and they watch them play and their teams go to the States. And so there's a lot of opportunity to be scouted and, and recruited. And there wasn't as many, um, when I was going through, but that's sort of what had happened. And it was sort of by fluke. It was a you know, let's go to this hockey school. It'll be a bit of a, you know, maybe summer vacation away. And, and it's sort of that started the, the ball rolling. And um, so I started thinking about going to the, the States as opposed to staying at home. I think always university hockey would have been in the cards. It's because I was going to go to university. Um, it just was whether it would be here or there. 
with those hockey schools or the universities, was it only a limited selection? Because if you see like on NCAA hockey now, it's kind of like those Ivy League schools or like a small different type of university and not like the wide selections in other sports. Well, yeah. And it was, so if hockey is a, a smaller group of, of schools now, it was even smaller then. And really the only option at the time was ECAC. So there was nothing out West. Um, and some of the, some of the strongest schools you would see in NCAA hockey now weren't, they were club, right. Or they didn't have anything. Um, so the, the ECAC was sort of the strongest. The Ivy league was, was fairly strong. Um, so it was a fairly limited sort of geography, which was fine. Cause, uh, I mean, for me, it was most logical to go East coast cause it's the closest. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely not as widespread as some of the other sports and some of the other female sports. Were you always challenging yourself every time you got on the ice or were you trying to find like a new skill set that you've never done before? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think so. I know for me, the one thing my dad had always said from the time I started any sport uh, was that his only expectation was that you give a hundred percent. And so, um, and that was any time. And if ever he was ever to be disappointed in how I played that that would be the only criteria. So I could have a horrible game um, and he wouldn't be unhappy as, as long as you were, you know, trying your hardest. And so I think ultimately that became uh, how you approached every day, every game and every practice. And, and so with that in mind, you're, you're going to improve um, because you're always working hard. Right. And, and I try to kind of instill that on the kids that I've coached as well, that if that's how you approach every day, you, you build the right habits. I think that's a definitely a great point because a lot of times we see like parents get very strict or they like put too much pressure on their kids and then you start seeing them stress out and I know with me with my parents growing up they were the same way they wanted to see me play at 100% and grow each time they didn't put that pressure on me because I never told them oh I wanted to go pro or anything they just wanted me to enjoy it and just have fun and I think yeah. that's the importance nowadays just everyone needs to have fun and not have those pressures on them. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's, you got to be realistic, I think, as a parent. And I remember my dad saying this from his years of coaching and he said the hardest, cause he coached, he coached just in ball. Um, and he'd said the hardest thing as a coach is to recognize what each kid's hundred percent is. Cause you get a kid at the top of, of your team and his or her hundred percent, he, that kid could go 50% and be better than another kid. And so trying to get the best out of everyone or demanding the best out of everyone when it's so different. And, and you got to recognize that in your own kids too, where there might be times where you're not the best on the team and you're trying your hardest and you're still not that good. Right. And, and they got to be, you know, you got to be able to see that. And as an athlete too, as, as you start to um, get older and it's less about your parents' expectations and, and more about your own is, you know, kind of recognizing when you've done everything that you can do. Were you able to accomplish those markers that you were talking about earlier as the, the years went on? Yeah, well, there's always setbacks, right? So, I mean, I was very fortunate that most teams that I tried out for, I made. And, um, you know, whether that was a high school sport or uh, playing, you know, hockey outside of school. or uh, But the first time I ever tried out for something sort of really big was Team Ontario. Um, and I was one of the last cuts. And so this is not a situation I'd ever been in. 
And here I am as a kid and I've said to my dad and my parents, I want to play for Team Canada. Like, you know, look, there they are and this is great and this is my goal. So when your your goal is Team Canada and you get cut from Team Ontario, right, it, it's pretty devastating. And I remember actually thinking like, that's it. It's all over, right? If I can't. Um, but my dad had said to me, you know, sometimes the best place for you to be is at home. And I had no idea really what he meant by that at the time. But I mean, ultimately, I think getting cut from that team just made me figure out what some of my weaknesses were and, and work harder. And, and, and then the funny thing is I got to university, I was a forward then, and I got to university and my coach saw something different in me and she moved me to D and I thought she'd ruined my chances altogether then too. I thought I'm a forward, what's she doing? Um, but ultimately, in, you know, in hindsight, I think that was the best thing that ever happened to me. So, um, but yeah, you know, the, I don't think there's any straight path there's probably very few athletes that it's just easy all along the way and you set a goal and you hit it. Uh, there's always those setbacks, but those are the things I think ultimately that if you can overcome them, make you better at what you're doing. Going through getting cut, did you ever have that mindset where I just, I don't want to do this anymore? Or you knew that was just not the option at that time because you wanted to get to Team Canada? Yeah. And, and I think too, what you got to remember is I was a kid, right? So I think I was 16 at the time that that I got cut and ultimately I wasn't going to give up only because I just love to play. So, you know, when it came time to go back on the ice for the next practice or the next, next game with my club team, there was no thought of, I want to quit because I might not make team Canada and maybe I wouldn't, I just wanted to play. So you just kept going because it was fun and it's what you do and it's where your friends are. And um, so I think there's that too, that every day I didn't step on the ice thinking, what's my goal and what's I stepped on the ice because I loved it and, and I was having a good time. Right. So, um, as an adult, it got harder. I know training for 2010 and there were moments that year where I'm like, I, I might not make this team. And, you know, you have some doubts sometimes as to whether or not you should have even tried to do it. But ultimately once you've put yourself uh, in there, you got to continue and see it through. When were you able to uh, kind of get Team Canada looking at you or go and try to make the team? So my freshman year at Brown, uh, I came home for uh, an open tryout and they were more like that at the time. Now you have to be invited and there's a whole process you, you go through. But at the time it was sort of just an open tryout and, and I came home and it was a provincial tryout. And at the end of it all, they brought everyone into a room and they just read out 20 names. And they said, these are the 20 names that we're going to submit to Hockey Canada. And then Hockey Canada can decide who they're going to invite. Um, and so I was actually the 20th name <laughs> read out. So, and I'm assuming they were in rank order because the first few names were the, were the players that you knew, Angela James and Geraldine Heaney and some of the bigger names of women's hockey that, um, and as you got towards the end, it was players more like me. So my name got read out. I did not ultimately get invited to the Team Canada camp, but um, I remember just being so excited that I was, you know, ranked as highly as I was at the time. I, I wouldn't have thought that. So um, that was sort of the big first step. The funny thing is, uh, again, the process was different. I decided to go to school in the States at a time when people didn't do that. And so I fell right off their radar. So when I came back for another open tryout four years later, when I was about to graduate and I did make it to, to the, ultimately to the Team Canada selection, the first thing the coach said to me is, I've never heard of you, which is funny because she's the one that signed the letter four years before that said, we're not going to take you. <laughs> but yeah, so 
I mean, there were steps along the way and those were kind of the first two big ones, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of a process. Going through that where people didn't know who you were because you went to a school in the States, do you think you were overcoming the barriers maybe that they can find people not within, well, from Canada, but they place somewhere else at first? Well, I think so. But I also think it started to become a thing where, you know what, maybe it's not such a bad thing to go play NCAA hockey and be on the ice six days a week and get a lot of, you know, the training we got off ice. And um, so most of the girls of my age group uh, that were in the Team Canada program did not go NCAA, but subsequent to that, they, they almost all do. Um, there's, and the, you know, the Canadian program has grown a ton and it's gotten a lot better, but still for the most part, your top, top players will go play at some of the best uh, NCAA schools. So just the whole thought process behind that has changed. And then because of that, they obviously they keep track of those, those kids really closely now. When you made the team, what was going through your mind at that time? Well, I mean, it was a long process. So my first year on the team was an Olympic year. So we moved to Calgary the 1st of September and they picked the team mid-December, right? So that's a long tryout. Um, and so you're just going through the grind every day. And as a rookie, the signs were starting to indicate that I'd make the team. But when you're a rookie, you really don't want to ever, you know, count your chickens before they're hatched. And so, um, and, you know, I'll never forget it because they wanted to make sure that, that it was done in a way that um, wasn't too hard on, on us. So they, they brought us in uh, to the rank and, and you had individual meeting times. They didn't want anyone crossing because obviously if you got cut, you didn't really want to see anyone. And they bring you into the dressing room and they make you wait. And they take you upstairs to another room and they make you wait. And then they tell you it's your time to go in and then you had to walk into the boardroom the national film board was filming uh, us through the whole process. So there were all these cameras lined up down the length of the boardroom and the coaches standing at the very far end. So this was like a, and you walk in and you're like, like, I can't even tell you what that anxiety and that stress does to your body. Like it, it's, it's crazy. Um, but I remember walking into that room and um, it was our assistant coach at the time, Ray Bennett was at the far end and he just smiled and I'm like, Oh thank God. So I don't even know if it's an excitement. It's just such a relief. Like, you know, cause you go to bed the night before and you can't sleep and you wake up that day and you can't eat and you can't, you know, you just can't function. And then the whole, the whole process that it's, it takes some time for you to actually get to the point of excitement. Right. And, and that might be after you actually slept cause you haven't slept in 24 hours. So it's it's tough it's stressful but uh you know it is what it is right for athletes i'm just imagining like a competition tv show and it's like the music is going while you're walking down that hallway and you just the heartbeat's going i mean yeah. i would i'd probably be the same way i'd be like freaking out and then i think you kind of mentioned where your co the coach was smiling and you're like oh yeah i mean that's just that's a lot of pressure not pressure but like like anxiety for just like this a huge accomplishment for you yeah it, it was a lot and especially again you know you're a rookie you have no idea what to expect and looking back now the funny thing was the head coach wasn't in the room when I had my meeting so that in and of itself when I walked in and saw no head coach I should have been like yes because the head coach does all the cuts they get all the hard work so when I saw that there was just an assistant coach I should looking back you know as a veteran I'd go oh, I've made the team um, but you don't know that as a rookie, right? So 
yeah, it was, but it was a tough day. And, and of course, like I said, the, the National Film Board was filming it and they built it into this little sort of movie called The Game of Her Life. And um, they had highlighted one of my good friends who was also a rookie uh, at the time as well, Jen Botterill. And when they said congratulations to her, she just broke down in tears. And, and that's sort of the, right? And that's the relief. That's the, it's not a, like you won the lottery, right? It, it's, it's just a different it's a different feeling initially. I mean, certainly different for the veterans and the ones that knew they were going to make the team. And, and each year is different, right? I had, I had a couple years in there, some years in there where when they called and said you made the team or whatever, I'm like, yeah, I like, I was probably was pretty sure. Right. Right. It wasn't, uh, but then there's other years where you're like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So. You said that this was in December. So what, that being an Olympic year, was it a quick turnaround to get the whole team prepped and ready for the Olympics? So we had been together. So each year is a little different in an Olympic year. Some years they'd centralize 27, 28 players. So they, they bring you all in. You live in Calgary, you train together every year. I think the one year we were up to 32 were initially invited and then they, they make some cuts along the way. So we kind of had been training as a team throughout. Um, there's always a bit of a lull right after the team is named. Partly, too, because you form this bond like a family, and then some of you get cut. And so it actually can be quite hard on the, the players that have stayed because, for, you know, it, it could have been your best friend or it could have been your roommate. Or, um, so there's always a bit of a lull. Um, so they, they, they make the team and give you, just to give you enough time so that you can come out of that lull and, and be sort of peaking again for the Olympics. Um, so that month, is a, that month in January, because you go home for Christmas right after they make the team that month in January is a bit about that, right? Getting through that little lull and, and peaking again. So you represented Team Camp multiple times for the Olympics and World Championships. What did it feel like to put that jersey on and represent the country? Well, it's, I mean, it's always amazing to, you know, especially the first time they give you the jersey or when you get to the Olympics, you know, in 2010, it was a different jersey because they, they had to change things because of some uh, IOC rules. Um, so, you know, whenever you get that opportunity, it really is a great feeling, uh, especially I think at an Olympics. And then for us in 2010, um, being a home Olympics, it, it was pretty special to, to, to know that you were the one that got that opportunity because it's pretty rare, right. To be able to compete like that at home. With the Olympics, you won three gold and a silver. Which Olympics was your favorite moment? Well, I think winning in 2002, because that was our first gold, we'd lost in 98. Um, and also because we'd had a very challenging year. We lost uh, every game to the U.S. that we'd played leading up, right? So we were 0-8 and, and really went in as completely as the underdogs. Um, so I think when we pulled that off in the end, it was a pretty amazing feeling. And then I think sort of right after that would be or even tied with it would be 2010, just because for me, I knew that was it. It was my last one. So, um, and playing at home, you know, normally in an Olympics, for most of the players, your parents would go. Maybe, maybe you'd have somebody else there, but rarely, right? So in, in Vancouver, for the most part, I would think on average, everyone had about 10 people, like 10 fans, of, right? So I had my parents, I had my brother, I had his wife, I had my husband, I had my kids. Like there was, I had my husband's cousins, I, right? So, I mean, this doesn't happen when you're playing in Italy or in, right? So, um, I mean, just that part of it too was, was pretty spectacular. So uh, those two, I think would, 
would be the highlights for sure. We've seen in hockey with the Olympics, USA versus Canada. Was that always a huge rivalry with your team? Yeah, absolutely. Because we knew it was coming down to the two, to the two teams, right? And and it's funny because, like I'd said early in my career, the girls in my age group didn't go to the states to to play NCAA hockey. I was the only one, so we didn't know each other either. So it was sort of more like I I would compare it to the in the seventies when Canada was playing the Soviet union, right. Where it's like, we don't know you, we don't like you, right. There was no familiarity. So team USA, my college roommate was on team USA. And I feel like we had to like, we didn't want anyone to see us being like, Hey, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Like, how's it? We don't want anyone to see us see uh, that we were talking and that we were actually friends. We kind of <laughs> had to hide it back in those early years. Now, most of the girls have gone to school in the States and they know each other and it's still a bitter rivalry. Like, don't get me wrong, but there's more familiarity off ice, right? They know each other. Um, whereas with my group, we didn't. So yeah, it was, but it, it could be bitter at times for sure. But I think that's what made it so entertaining, right? Is that everyone knew, do you just knew from watching it? Like, These guys hate each other. Like, this is great. <laughs> Were you able to see like fans more engaged with women's hockey over each year and see like the rise of the sport before, from where you started with hockey? Yeah. I mean, it being in the Olympics for the first time was huge. And that year in 98, everywhere we went sold out, like it was crazy. And so um, most of us weren't used to it. Certainly me as a rookie, I was not used to that. Right. We, I mean, whether it be a small community rank and we, and we did a tour around Saskatchewan and played against Sweden. Every game was sold out, right? In smaller ranks to going to an NHL rink to play against the U.S. and sold out. And, and so it was crazy. Um, it actually, there was a bit of a lull after that. Like it wasn't quite the same um, in some of our games in subsequent years. There was just so much hype around that first Olympics. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it, there has been a huge growth in it and, and in the fan base a little bit too. And, um, now what they need to do is be able to build that for the league, right? It's always there for a Canada U S game. Like it's, yeah. it's intriguing. Everyone wants to watch it. You know, it'll be a good game. Um, but now, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to build a, like a professional league and, um, getting people to watch that and getting people to understand the rivalries within that as well, I think would be, uh, is what's kind of needed as a next step. How did you know that the time that you retired was that perfect timing for you? Well, two things. One, you hit a certain point in your career where if you don't retire, they're going to retire you. So there was that. Um, but even aside from that, I knew I was ready. I, I had already been married, had two kids. So the 2010 Olympic year uh, was a challenge. We moved to Calgary every year, every Olympic year to train. So that year, um, my husband stayed home to run his family business. My parents moved out with me and the kids to take care of the kids. So it was a big commitment from a lot of people, right? It wasn't just me. I was asking a lot of, of everyone. Um, and, and it was challenging too. And some of the parts of being on team Canada that I loved the most when I was younger, which was the travel and seeing the world. And that was the part where, you know, when you have two little kids at home that I wasn't enjoying as much, I wanted, I would wanted to be home. So um, I was definitely ready on many fronts and I think my family was ready too, despite that they had loved it and enjoyed the whole journey with me. Um, I think it, it was time. Looking back at your career, were, were you able to accomplish everything that you were wanting? 
yeah, I think so. I mean, really my, my goals were always team oriented. I think like I look at someone like, you know, some of the, my, my teammates that uh, were able to break goal scoring goals and some of those awesome things. I mean, that certainly wasn't ever a goal of mine because I wasn't that type of player. Um, so for me, the big thing was always to, to make the team and to win, uh, win gold medals. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I really couldn't have asked for much more and uh, especially being able to end with a gold medal in, in Vancouver, it was certainly a great way to go out. So, and I enjoyed every minute of it. And, you know, that's the beauty of team sports is um, you make so many friends and, and even last night, just you know, for fun, something funny had come up. So what do I do? I text three of my good friends that, um, you know, that I played with on Team Canada. One is Cheryl Pounder, straight in Mississauga. I see her all the time. Um, but two of my other friends, one's in Calgary and, and one's in Saskatchewan. So the fact that we still are able to keep in touch is, is great. I mean, it just shows the bond that you guys all have with each other because you're training so hard and you're representing your country and you're winning together. And it just shows, it's almost like you've been through the battle with each other in a way. And it's one of those things where you have that lifelong friendship. No matter what happens, you guys will be able to contact each other and kick it off where it just lasted. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right when you say you've been through that battle with one another because, you know, and it's really like anything that a lot of times people that are on the outside can hear about it, but you never fully understand sort of what it is when you haven't lived it. And, and I'm, like I said, I'm sure most people in most industries and most lifestyles and most whatever can kind of have that same feel about what they're doing. And, um, you know, because we did win a lot, but we lost a lot and there was pressure and there was stress and, and, and even just the grind of every day, like Olympic years, they, they relocated us for four, four weeks uh, in May and June, every Olympic year to do a boot camp, just a conditioning, like kick your butt. Um, and so you kind of have to have lived it to understand that it was great for us, but it sucked, right? Like, so, you know, and I would attribute, you know, part, part of the success of our team to having gone through that. And yet none of us wanted to go through it. Like it, you know, it's one of those, um, it, it makes you, it, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of things. Well, it's almost like when we watch the games, we only see the 60 minutes and we base everything off of those 60 minutes, but we don't know what has happened before that day or the months leading up. So this is a great way for, um, to see that rise to the challenge in a way and see how you guys worked hard to accomplish your goals. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because my kids are big baseball fans and I remember an interview with Big Poppy the year he re was, he'd announced he was retiring and he was going to retire and he was having a great season. And I remember the guy interviewing him was like, you're doing so well, like, why not come back again? And, and his reply was, you, you don't understand what I have to do every single day as an older athlete to be ready. And I think that's the thing, right? You're right. You, you see that snippet on TV and not always sort of what goes on behind the scenes and for each individual athlete as well. Like I played until I was 35. I look at guys now that are playing pro sports and they're 40 and whatever. I'm like, Oh my God, how do you do it? Like, because it's the warm ups and the cool downs and the treatment. And, you know, for a 20 year old, you got, you know, a couple hour commitment. And for a 35 and 40 year old, you got like a full day of preparation. So yeah, when you start to see what goes on behind the scenes, you start to realize there's a lot. 
after you retired, did you know what was next for you, what you wanted to do? Or were you just taking that time to relax and enjoy being with your family? Yeah, I think it was more, it was that, like, I didn't really know career-wise what direction I was going to head in, um, but my kids were five and three, so I knew, I come home, I'm just going to chill out, I'm not going to travel, you know, we're going to go on vacation together, but um, I think that was sort of the first step, and then after that, it's like, all right, what, what sort of what do I want to do now, and uh, yeah. So you're the co-owner of Strictly Hockey with a fellow former teammate. How did that company or that business come about? Um, so we had decided, I believe it was, so Cheryl Pounder and I um, were defense partners on the team forever, very good friends. And, and um, so we decided let's run a hockey school because, you know, that's sort of what you do um, in the summer. You know, we were still training. So I believe our first year was 2002 after the Olympics. We'd um, started our hockey school for the first time. And so it just sort of became, it kind of ballooned after that. And uh, we grew it, ran a little bit more in terms of hockey schools and PA day camps. And it's sort of constantly been morphing a little bit here and there. And um, we've done clinics in remote communities for um, the Anishinaabek nation. Uh, so like, it's just been a lot of, a lot of various things. We do speaking together as well. So, um, and most of it was just stemming from the fact that we have great time when we're together. So, you know, the funny thing is when we get asked to go on the road and do an event or do a clinic, we're like, this is awesome. Like we're going to have a bottle of wine at night and we're right away from the clinic. And we're going to have a great time because, you know, we have fun when we, when we hang out and when we're together too. So, I mean, that was part of it. And you know, that's, that's anything you, if it's fun, it doesn't feel like work. So. Was this a way to still be, have hockey in your life, but not being with the travel schedule and that the big commitment part. Yeah, I think so. And, and also just the feeling that, you know, you can't have taken so much from the system and not give some of it back. Right. We had years of great coaching and great opportunities and experiences. And so at some point, you know, you want to be able to give that back, uh, to the community or to the kids. And so both Cheryl and I, uh, Cheryl's got two daughters and I've got two sons and we both coached our kids. Um, she's coaching her. Well, not now because of, because of COVID, but she would be coaching hers right now. And um, so I think that too, where, you know, when the time comes to put into coach your kid's team, you're like, well, I kind of should, right? Like I have the experience. And um, so I think that was part of it as well. And it's fun. And I've always liked being around the kids. And, and um, so you know, that makes it uh, kind of an enjoyable uh, sort of career path as well. When you're doing these clinics with the kids, is it more like just helping them grow their skills or just let them have fun while playing the game? Or is it more serious in a way? Well, it depends on sort of your group. Like we've done some more elite rep players and um, down to house league players. But I mean, ultimately, you don't get better if it's not fun. So fun has to be an element. But what fun is can look differently. Right. So, um, I mean, it's skill development for sure. Um, because if you just, if people just wanted their kids to play shinny, they, they just throw them on the ice to play shinny. So we're trying to teach them and to make them better. But for the most part, kids want that, right. They, they enjoy learning and, and they enjoy seeing themselves pick up a new skill and you'll see the smile on their face and they're like, coach, I got it. Like I can do this now. Right. And it's a great feeling, you know, as a coach as well. Um, to, to teach something and see that light bulb go on and, and then be able to do it. So 
yeah, it's sort of that blend of it's got to be fun. Sometimes it's got to be hard and, and also you want to learn and get better. Does that go back to when you were younger and you were playing for fun and you knew that whatever happened, you were going to just get better and better. And now you see these kids where they have that fun and they're so proud of what they're able to accomplish that it kind of came full circle in a way. Yeah, a little bit. And, and especially with the kids that have that same level of passion right and so that's part of it too like you can see that so you get the ones you know sometimes rep hockey's a lot and sometimes you get kids that are out there because they have to be and you know they don't love it as much but but you get the ones that just you can see it they just love it and they can't get enough of it and and that's when it becomes really fun too i think is is to see that because the more you throw at them the more they want when you and cheryl or yourself are doing keynote speaking or motivational speaking What's the mission that you're trying to tell the individuals that are listening to you? Well, it, it can be sort of multifaceted, but a big part of it is we focus mainly on the journey, right? Because that's sort of what makes things so special. So we talk about the Olympics. It's only 17 days, but the, the lead up is months and years and of preparation. And, and the fact that like we had talked about before, it's not all happy days and I mean, there are bumps along the way for sure. And there are challenges and, and really, a, I think the biggest part of gaining any level of success is, is being able, able to overcome uh, those challenges along the way, because it's inevitable, right? To, that if you hit the first bump on the road and you give up and right, that's it and, uh, and I'm good, then you're really never going to accomplish anything. So um, being able to find that in yourself to overcome any level of adversity. I think that's what we talk about on the show is you have to go through those struggles in a way because it shows that you're stronger and it shows a stronger mindset that you're able to overcome any challenges that you face. And I think if people had it that easy route, they don't learn as much. I think you have to challenge yourself in a way. And I think it shows with you as an athlete and sharing your story, you're showing that nothing's going to stop you from accomplishing your goals. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of sports right now, because, you know, we send our kids to school and they don't fail, right? Like they don't, they, and a lot of times everything's fair and everything's even, and you can't fail anyone. And, and so I think sometimes the, the value of sports is for them to know there's winners and there's losers. And just cause you lost today doesn't mean you're going to lose every day, but there's winners and there's losers every day. And sometimes you make a team and sometimes you get cut from a team and, and that's life and learning to deal with that is such a huge skill, right? As a kid coming up and, um, and sometimes I think sports is that one remaining area where, where kids can, can get that and, and learning to deal with stress too. Cause I think, you know, we've taken so much of that out of kids' lives because we don't want them to be overwhelmed that they, they don't learn to deal with it. So, you know, you put your kid into a tryout situation and they're stressed and that's probably actually a good thing because if you don't deal with it when you're a kid, how, would you ever expect to be able to deal with it as an adult, yeah. right? So. What does the future look like for you professionally and personally? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years? You know what? It, it's, well, I'd like to get through COVID first and then I can give you a better sense because right now pretty much everything I do is about to be shut down. Um, you know, I'll probably continue with some of the development. Um, I've coached my own kids for a number of years, but they're hitting the end of their sort of minor hockey careers. So um, I'd like to coach as a non-parent, uh, probably at a higher level. Um, you know, I, I love to continue to be able to go out and 
do some of the keynote speaking and um, you know, I love to, to share some of the stories and some of the things that we've gone through. So, you know, it's really kind of just along the same lines as what I've been doing. I love having a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It, it's, it's a nice variety. That's not just one, you know, one singular uh, aspect of my life. So, and then we'll see, we'll see where everything goes with the, with this crazy virus we're all dealing with. Would you love to be able to coach Team Canada at an Olympic level and be able to uh, be able to win that medal on a different side in a way? I don't know. Uh, that I, I, I haven't really explored coaching at that level yet, only because I like it at the grassroots level. I like working um, with the younger athletes or the junior level athletes. Um, it's something maybe I'll explore down the road. I'm not sure if I want the commitment of the travel and and all of that still. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things we'll take it, you know, that kind of thing day by day and maybe 10 years you'll call me back and I'll be like, yeah, that's what I want. But right now, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'll just keep going, you know, grassroots and, and with kids and younger adults. Is there anything looking back at your career and what you're doing, any regrets or anything that you would have done differently or you like what the path has you been on? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would, because ultimately I got to exactly where I was hoping to get to. If you'd have pulled me aside as a 12 or 13 year old and said, you know, what would you like to do one day with hockey? It would have been Team Canada and gold medals. So um, I don't know if I'd change anything because ultimately it, it got me to where I wanted to. Um, and, you know, like I said, there's hiccups along the way, but I think, you know, that's part of the part of the journey. For someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome their obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Uh, so the first thing is pick something that you love, um, because if you pick something that you kind of like, it's not a lot of motivation to overcome that first big obstacle, right? Because you, you just, you're not passionate enough about it to start with. Um, and then I, I think from there, it's just having that belief in yourself. I mean, it, it, you know, and, and it wavers too. I mean, it does waver your confidence at times, but, um, and then just, just that persistence to keep going because I know there are days, right. There were days with team Canada where I thought maybe this isn't, you know, maybe this isn't exactly all it, it's cracked up to be, but, uh, you know, having that just sometimes you get out of bed and you put one, just put one foot in front of the other and, and that's your goal for the day is just to, right. Is just to get through and, and it always gets better, but only if you've picked something that you, that you love doing, because otherwise what's, you know, what's the point. Um, so yeah, pick it and love it and, and, and work through it. Well, Becky, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You inspire so many athletes and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you thank you very much take care it was nice talking to you tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our youtube channel to see the full-length episode in video format what path will you take to accomplish your goals you decide